0: to Luke chapter 4 this morning, Luke chapter 4, working our way through the book of Luke right now, just verse by verse, Um, and uh, we've made it to chapter 4 today, we're going to see a a kind of a unique story in the life of Christ, Um, and uh, kind of the very beginning of his ministry here, and so this is when Christ comes to church, and uh, we're going to see what he um, thinks about that and how we can learn from him this morning as we look at that for our own lives, so Luke chapter four verses fourteen through thirty is where we're going to land this morning. So one Sunday morning, uh, there was a boy um, who showed up to church a little bit late, and uh, the the knowing that he was usually you know pretty prompt and pretty on time, his teacher asked him like, Johnny, is there is there something wrong? Like is there something going on? Do you need do you need something? And he said, No, no, it's it's fine, ma'am, not really. He said, I was I was going to go fishing this morning. Um, but my dad told me, I need instead, I need to get up and go to church. And so the teacher was pretty, you know, pleased with that and impressed that, you know, dad kind of held the line on that. And he's like, all right, that's great. That's awesome. Did dad explain to you why it's important to go to church on Sunday rather than go fishing? He's like, yeah, he did. He told me he only had enough bait for him. <laughs> hopefully that wasn't your dilemma this morning. Uh, hopefully uh, you are here on good terms. Um, But there are lots of different reasons, right, that people go to church or don't go to church at times. And um, today I want us to look at a time that Jesus went to church and why he went to church and why he thinks it's important that we go to church and do a little assessment for ourselves this morning, kind of wrestle with an important question. I think sometimes, especially if you kind of grew up in this setting or even if you're new to Christianity, maybe we don't even think about it, we just take for granted, and that's the question of why Do I come to church? Like, why do we do this? Every Sunday, show up here, like, why even bother? Why do I come to church? And we're going to see what we can learn from Christ this morning in that. So let's go ahead and look at verse 14, Luke chapter 4. Here we go. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all, And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him, and marvelled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So the first question we want to look at this morning is Do I come to church to encounter God? Do I come to church to encounter God? So it starts here, the first verse says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. So let's set that up in the story here, right? So he's returning from the wilderness temptation experience that we studied last week, where he's out in the wilderness for 40 days, right, being tempted by Satan. So he's coming back from that, and he's still walking here in the fullness of the Spirit. That's why it says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit here. And it says that the Spirit led him to go to Galilee. So geographically here, Galilee is like the northern region of Palestine, okay? This is north of Judea, north of Jerusalem, north of kind of like the main center of Judaism at this point in time, right? And so this was kind of like the the more rural, backwoods area. Like this wasn't like the main place where things were kicking, right? This was, they were known for agriculture and herding and fishing and things like that. And this is the region, Galilee is where Jesus grew up. This was kind of his, he grew up most of his life in this area. He's going to do most of his ministry as we look at the, uh, go through the Gospel of Luke. He's going to be doing most of his ministry in the region of Galilee. Right, so it's all st- setting up for this right here. And, and notice what the Spirit led him to do as he returned to Galilee. It says that he started teaching in the synagogues. Okay, so let's talk about for a synagogue for a second and what that is and what that means. Okay? At this point in time, the synagogue was the place of worship for God's people, right? It kind of changed throughout history, right? So it started way back when they first came out of Egypt. Moses was led to, to build the tabernacle, right? And that was the first place of worship for God's people. Then eventually they built the temple in Jerusalem, and that became the primary place of worship for God's people for centuries. And then once they got exiled and sent out of Jerusalem, they were dispersed all over the world. They started building synagogues in each town where there were enough Jewish people to have a weekly worship service, and at this time in history, that was kind of their church. That was where they would gather each week on the Sabbath for worship. So for us today, that would be similar to what we call a church, a church building, like what we gather in each week here. Okay. So similar, and also their their worship services had very similar elements to ours as well. They would have singing, they would have praying, they would read some scripture. Someone would give a, a teaching on that scripture or a response to that scripture. So. Very much modeling, the church modeled very much after the synagogue coming out of early Judaism in the way that we worship. And so that's what Jesus was going to in this passage, right? And so like our churches today, the synagogue at that point was the primary place designed to regularly, intentionally, and collectively come and encounter God in worship. That was the purpose. And that's where the Spirit led Jesus to start his ministry, was teaching in these synagogues and it says that as he taught there that he was glorified by all now that's one of those statements in english that's easy for us to kind of just kind of glaze over and be like, oh yeah they thought it was great that he was a good teacher but interestingly enough in the greek there the greek word for glorified and the rest of luke in most of the new testament is only used to talk about giving glory to god not to a man and so luke again is just kind of subtly telling us like hey this is it. This is him, right? This is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah who has come, and now he's teaching in your synagogues in the backwoods area of Palestine. Like, he's not in the temple. He's not going to the big place. He's just kind of coming around and doing a little speaking tour in rural America, right? That's what he's doing here, and they glorified him, it says, as he taught. Now, This brief description here, that he taught and was glorified, gives us the two main purposes for why we go to church. Why we do this every week, right? The first reason we go to church is to glorify God. That is the primary purpose, is to worship him. The first thing that we have to know, that we have to understand, if we're going to get church right, is that church is not about us. Church is about God, us coming to glorify him, to worship him, to respond to the God of the universe who has broken into our lives. Here at Harvest we call this vertical worship, right? That's not about what we're doing here as much as it is about what we're doing here. Putting our faces and our hearts and our minds towards the Lord. That's what church is about, first and foremost. So first it's about glorifying God. But then secondly, it's also about growing in God through the teaching of the Word, right? As we worship Him, as we glorify Him, we also get to receive from Him because He's a gracious God. And as we receive from Him and receive from His Word, we gather together in our hearts and our minds through the singing, through the preaching, through the reading of Scripture, through the prayers. We are filled with God's Word and we get to grow in the image of God of Christ and in our understanding of who God is and so for us in our church tradition it starts on Sunday mornings as we gather and we learn and we grow in God's word and then it's extended during the week through our small groups right as we gather again in smaller groups to discuss God's word and to apply God's word to our lives this is what church is all about glorifying God and growing in God and we see both of those here in the text with Christ. And so, the first answer to this question is, I come to church because it is designed to help me encounter God. It is a gift that God has given us that each week we get to come to a set place at a set time that's already designed and prepared that we get to come and just encounter God in worship. Every week. So Jesus did this, and look what it says next. It says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, right? So he's finally back in his hometown. He's been gone for a while. He's been doing some other things. He's finally back in his hometown. And the words brought up there reminds us, what we talked about a few weeks ago, is that Jesus had a childhood. Like, like this is where he grew up, right? This is where he like first learned to, to walk. This is where he first learned to read. This is where his dad first taught him to like split a log, you know, for the work. This is where he, he played tag with his friends, where he broke his arm, where he worked his first job, all that kind of stuff. But it's also where he first learned to worship God. It was in this town. Notice what it says. It says, As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. This was the custom of his family. His parents had raised him in weekly worship of God in the synagogue. Okay? In other words, Jesus was a church kid. <laughs> like he grew up in the church, in the synagogue, every week. This was their custom, and it taught him the importance and the priority and the value of weekly worshiping the Lord. And so now as an adult, the text tells us, that he continued In that faith. He continued in that practice, that custom of weekly worship in the synagogues because as a child, his parents had put him in a place to grow his heart and to grow his mind for the worship of the Lord. So I want to take just a moment here, just pause and just speak directly to the parents in the room. Parents, your custom should be to regularly bring your family to church this is the custom it is our responsibility as Christian parents to facilitate and to train our children in the genuine worship of the Lord and one of the primary places that happens is right here first they have to see you model it it's not enough for you to just bring them or even just drop them off You have to model it for them. Parents who are faithfully and joyfully and increasingly worshiping the God of the universe every week at church. They need to see you doing it. And doing it well. Secondly, they have to see you prioritize it. As parents, we have to prioritize this over every other competing demand in our schedules and in their schedules. It's kind of strange and maybe problematic that our children have their own schedules. But that's the world we live in now, right? We have to priori- they have to see us make this a priority over everything else if it's going to become their custom to worship the Lord. Third, they have to see you insist on it. There will be times where they don't want to go. They don't want to come to church. They want to go do this other activity with their friends instead, or they don't like this thing, or they don't like that thing, or they're too tired, or maybe they don't even believe in Jesus. They don't, I don't even think I believe in this faith. It doesn't matter. Parents, hear me. It doesn't matter. They need to come and worship. Worship. You need to insist on it. This is our job as parents. They need you to hold the line and to keep fighting for their hearts even when they don't want to. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now let's keep that verse in context for a moment here, right? Because it is a proverb. It's not a promise. There's a difference. you understand this difference, right? A proverb is a, a general statement of wisdom. Something that is true most of the time. It's not a guarantee. It's not a promise of God. But it's a generally true statement that we can trust in and follow. And here's the thing, parents. God does not hold us Responsible for the outcome of our children's faith. Hear that again. Parents, God does not hold you responsible for the outcome of your children's faith. He does hold you responsible for how we lead and train them in the faith. We're responsible to do our part, and then what they do with what we've given them is between them and the Lord. No amount of perfect parenting guarantees that your child will love and follow Jesus. I wish there was an equation that said A plus B equals C, but it doesn't work that way. They have their own heart. They have their own mind. They have to make that decision for themselves. Our job is to lead and train and make sure that they have everything they need from us. To be able to follow Jesus. Oftentimes use this picture as a Christian parent. It's it's my greatest hope and my greatest prayer that one day my children's hearts will be a raging fire for Jesus. That's what we're going for. But I also know that I have absolutely no ability (laughs) to light that fire for them. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can come and light up their heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't do that. What I can do, and what I must do, is pile as much firewood and as much kindling as I can on their hearts, so that when the Holy Spirit finally does show up, that their heart goes up like that. And the way that I keep putting the firewood of the gospel on their heart is making sure that they have, that I put them in every opportunity possible to hear and to know and to grow in the word of God. Every opportunity possible. Sundays, Wednesdays, small groups, students, kids ministry, retreats, all of it. I want them in every opportunity in our home and outside of our home in the church to hear and to know God's word. That's the job of every Christian parent. Jesus' parents did that for him. They taught him a custom of weekly worship. And now as an adult, he regularly goes to synagogue, it tells us. But he doesn't just go. Notice what he does. He goes and he stood up to read. Right? So he was an active participant, not just a spectator, Not just a consumer, not just checking the box. He was coming to engage with God and engage with his word in order to worship him. This is all what it means. This is part of us encountering God at church. So the second application here for us is that we come to church because it trains our hearts and our minds to encounter God. We come because it trains us, it trains our hearts and our minds to seek and to worship and to know the God of the universe. It trains us, it trains our kids, it trains our spouse, it trains us as a family. And we need this. So he shows up and they give to read, he stands up to read and it says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, this was like their version of God's word, right? This was their Bible, essentially, They didn't have Bibles like we have today. They had scrolls of the different Old Testament books that they would read. So they give him a scroll of Isaiah, and it says he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where he wanted to read, which was Isaiah 61, which is a messianic prophecy telling of the coming Messiah, and look what he reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Jesus picks this passage, he uses this passage to announce and to reveal his true identity. That he is the Messiah. He's he's revealing himself first, before anybody else, he's revealing himself first to his hometown. To his people. Right? And he reads the whole scripture and at the end he says, Today... Not in the future, not some point, like I know you've been waiting on the Messiah for a while, you're thinking he's going to come in the future, no more waiting, today. Today the scripture has been fulfilled in me. He's telling them, I'm here. This is it. I'm the one. He's revealing his identity to them through God's word. And Jesus still reveals himself to us today through God's word. As we read, as we study, as we listen, this is how we come to know who he is. He also chose this passage to announce what his ministry was going to be all about. Look at the description, right? He says, I came to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news there in the Greek literally could be translated gospel. I, claim to proclaim, I came to proclaim the gospel to the poor, and not just like to the physically poor, but to the spiritually poor, which is all of us, right? We all are in that boat. We all need Jesus. He said, I came to give liberty to the captives, those who are captive to sin in this life, recovery of sight to the blind, those who are blind to God, walking around in darkness, liberty for those who are oppressed, oppressed by Satan and the brokenness of this world. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's not a calendar year like 2024, right? Like that's that's the year in, in terms of like an, an age or an era. Like this new era of God's grace was coming to mankind through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through the gospel. Jesus came for people like us. Who are broken who are frail who are languishing in sin in rebellion against god headed for wrath headed for hell in need of rescue that's who he came for he says and he came and he lived a perfect and sinless life and then he's going to eventually go to the cross and give that life to pay for our sins to cover us to to rescue us from captivity and oppression And he went into the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life, proving that he was God. And offering this help, offering this rescue to anyone who would believe in him and follow him. Jesus is announcing right here, my whole life, my whole ministry is about this. To help you. To love you. To heal you. To deliver you. Jesus came to work in our lives and the primary way that he starts to do that is through the church. Through the times where we come and his Holy Spirit meets us here and his word is opened and we get to hear and we get to learn and we get to be moved and changed by God himself. If you need help you need hope, if you need deliverance, friends, church is the very best place you can be. This is designed. This is created. This is given to us so we can encounter God in all of these ways. So he goes in, he reads it, he rolls it up and gives it back, it says, all eyes were fixed on him, and all spoke well of him, and marveled at his gracious words. Now, it's a little misleading there in the, in the English translation when it says they spoke well of him. It almost sounds like they were like, you know, like praising him for what he had just said. They're not really doing that, they're just acknowledging, like, oh yes, okay, we hear you, we heard what you said, all right, I'm, they're kind of responding to it, but we're going to see just a moment here, they don't actually believe it. Like they're not in. They're not bought into what he's saying, but they are like, "Hey, I, I hear you, OK, that makes sense." But even though they didn't believe him, notice what it says: They marveled at His gracious words. They were in awe of God's grace. They were in awe of God's word, even though they weren't believing in Jesus yet. Because this is what happens. When you encounter God's spirit, when you encounter God's word in this type of setting, is God moves in our hearts and he moves in our minds and we are filled with awe and wonder at who he is. The eternal, almighty, perfectly holy, sovereign God of the universe. He shows up and he changes us. Friends, that is what church is all about. And yet, too often, we treat it as just another activity on our weekly calendar. You know, as long as I'm not too tired from the week, as long as there isn't some other event or game or something that is more important, as long as everybody can find their shoes in the morning and get them on to get out the door in time to actually get there, if all those things happen to line up then then we we'll, then we'll go to church. If not it's okay. There's always next week. If that's our heart that is a lukewarm self-consumed sinful way of thinking about church. That is not what the worship of the Lord deserves. And so if that's your heart today when it comes to church, if that's where you find yourself on Saturday night or Sunday morning, I would encourage you, you need to do some serious soul searching with the Lord. You need to pray and, and, and see what's going on inside that heart that's keeping you from desiring to worship the God who is worthy of it all. Something's not right. And listen, I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor and I have to and this is the church and like some of you are like, well, yeah, you have to, you know, you, you want people here, the church needs the money, the whatever. The, listen, God has provided for his church and for his pastors for over 2,000 years will be just fine. Regardless of what you do or don't do. This isn't about me. This isn't about numbers in the church. This is about you. This is about me wanting you to encounter God every chance you have. To know and to love and to grow in the worship of God every single week I don't want you to miss that one time it's that good he is that good I thank the Lord that I think finally finally now after like two and a half years we've got to the point where we don't have to talk about COVID every other conversation anybody else feel that like we're finally like maybe over that hump praise the Lord But I I do want to address one thing this morning when it comes to COVID in the church. Obviously, in the early days, many churches were forced to go online for services for a time, and that was fine or whatever. But even as in-person worship started to open back up, and now we're two, two and a half years after that, multiple surveys report that church attendance in America has fallen by 20%. And best we can tell, it seems like that's due to those who were previously attending church for social reasons or for cultural reasons, and they've decided they just don't want to do that anymore. They'd rather do something else on Sundays, and so they don't come back. And that's fine. I'm really less concerned about that group. What I'm more concerned about is those who claim to have genuine faith in Jesus Christ but are still not fully committed to weekly worship of God that's what I'm concerned about there were a lot of hard things in those first few months of the pandemic for sure but let me just tell you for me the hardest thing for me by far was not getting to do this every week. Not getting to gather with God's people in God's presence and worship. And that first Sunday that we got to come back and do this corporately, my heart was so full of joy and just tears and like, it was so good. I don't know if anybody else remembers that experience. It was so good after three months to finally be back in the corporate presence of worshiping God together. easy to take it for granted but this is what God calls us to this is why we come to church I come to church because I get to encounter God it's never a have to it's a get to we get to do this Every week. I hope you're on that. I hope you feel that way. And if you don't, again, I encourage you, pray, get on your face before the Lord and figure out what's going on inside your heart and your head that you don't desire to be in the presence of God and worship every week. That should be our strongest desire. Do I come to Church to encounter God? That's the first question. But then let's look at the second half of the story. Look at the people's response to Christ. Verse 22. So they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Second point this morning, do I come to church to challenge God? Do I come to church to challenge God? Look at how they respond. Their first question is like, is this not Joseph's son? Like, don't we know this kid? Like, he's been around for a while, right? Like, this is the same kid who dropped his sandal in the well, and we had to, like, fish it out for him. Remember that? Right? Like, this is the guy. Like, isn't he the one who never took a wife and finally, like, was so, like, out that he just left town for a while? Like, we used to call him Jay Money when we were playing in the fields. Like, I know this guy. Right? Like, this is, like, they, they, this is how familiar they are with Jesus. He's like us, they think. He's just one of us. What makes him so special? Now, while none of us have that level of experience with Jesus or with God, we don't have that. I think there's a parallel here for us. That sometimes we fall into this trap of still thinking that somehow God is like on our level. Right? Because we we oftentimes will talk about God as our father and our friend And the one who's full of grace and mercy and loves us. And and all that's true. All of that's true. But if we only see him as that, we start to think that God is like us. And on our level. And therefore, we have the ability to evaluate him. To challenge him. To decide what we think about what he says or does instead of the other way around. And so they're looking at Jesus and they're like, I don't I don't think you have any authority here. You're just a kid from town. And so Jesus responds to them, he says, Hey, I know what you're thinking. Physician, heal yourself which is kind of a weird phrase here, but what, what he's talking about is like they're saying if you're, that, if you're really that great, if you're that awesome, if you've done all these awesome things and you've healed all these people, like do that here. Do that in our town. Do that where, you know, in, in your own, with your own people here in your hometown. Supposedly it happened in Capernaum and all these other places. Like do it here. Like we really know who you are, Jesus. If you're really something different, then show us. Prove it. Do it here. See, the people, they doubted Jesus. They didn't believe him, because they thought they knew who he was, that he was just like them. And so Jesus says, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Because of their pride, they refused to believe that he was God, that he was the Messiah. They refused to believe. And again, if we're not careful, we can do the same thing with God. We can come to church, sit in the pew, or the chairs, or whatever. And we can hear God, we can hear God speak, we can hear the word of God. And then we hear something we don't like. Or something we don't agree with. And we ignore it, or we reject it. Showing that our pride places us above God as if we're the ones who get to evaluate him rather than him being the one who evaluates us challenging God's position says that I am higher than him challenging God's position says I am higher than him that's what they were doing with Jesus Jesus continues talking to them. He says, I'll tell you the truth. He's like, let me tell you a couple stories here. I gotta, I, maybe these will help you understand what's going on. And he tells them two Old Testament stories from two different prophets, right? First, he talks about Elijah, who was sent by God to this Gentile widow um, in Zarephath, which is outside of Judea. It was outside of the Jewish people uh, to receive care and to receive provision during this big famine that was going on, right? And unlike those in Israel, who he didn't go to, she responded with faith in God's word. And God blessed her, and he provided for her, and for her son, and for Elijah, for the entire famine. That's the first story. Second story, he tells them, is about Elisha, different prophet, similar name. And in this one, Naaman comes to him. and this is the, Naaman was a Gentile general from Syria, from this foreign country, And he came with leprosy, and Elisha told him, like, hey, go wash in the river, and you'll be healed. And at first, Naaman was like, I ain't going to wash in no river. Are you kidding me? Like, that's ridiculous. I'm Naaman, right? And so he had this pride about himself, but eventually he humbled himself. He goes and he washes in the river. He's healed physically and spiritually. And he receives faith from the Lord and begins to worship the God of Israel so Jesus tells them these two stories to illustrate two times where God found greater faith in the Gentiles than he did in the Jewish people. And these stories were a great shame to Israel. And the people understand exactly why Jesus, like, at first we might not understand why he's telling these stories. They understand exactly why he's telling these stories. Right? Jesus is indicting them for their lack of faith in him in that moment. their failure to trust God's power. And the real crux of what they're saying here is, Jesus, we don't need you. We don't need your power. We don't need you to come around here trying to fix and help. Like, you just, we're good. We don't need you. Their pride refused to believe. Again, how often, how often, do, how often do we fall in the same trap? We come to church, right, only to put on a good face, and to hide our problems, and to hide our sin, and just go through the motions, because we don't want anybody to know that we actually need some help, because we don't want to admit to anyone else or to the Lord, that we need help, we need hope, we need God to move in our lives. And so by refusing to trust Him and be honest about our struggles, we reject the power of God in our lives. Challenging God's power says, I don't need Him. When I say, God, I can do this on my own, I got this, I'm not gonna, I, don't, I don't need any help, I'm not going to admit anything, I'm not going to confess anything, I'm not going to lay anything down. We're telling God, I don't need your help, I don't need your power in my life, I got this. That's not worship. It just feeds our pride. So they hear the two stories, and then look what it says next. It says, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. So upon hearing God's word, like Jesus isn't like making things up. He's not like giving him his own opinions. He's just reading God's word and telling them God's word. Upon hearing God's word and Jesus' rebuke of their sin, they were filled with prideful anger rather than humble repentance. There's an old Puritan proverb that I loved quote. says that the same sun that melts the snow hardens the clay. Meaning, God's word always brings conviction. It always brings conviction to us, and our hearts can respond in one of two ways. We can melt in humility and repentance and faith before the Lord, or we can harden in pride and anger and rebellion. These people chose the latter. It says they rose up, And they drove him out of town to throw him down a cliff, which is the language of stoning during that time period. Okay? That's how they would start the stoning process of someone. They were wanting to murder Jesus. Their hometown boy, the one that they knew, the brothers and sisters and mom and dad are still there. They want to kill him. Because God's word cuts deep. And it elicits strong reactions in either direction. So we have to be mindful of our hearts, ready to receive it in humility. Because if we don't, we will rise up against him and rise up against his word to our own peril. Challenging God's word says, I know better than him. Anytime I challenge, I reject, I refuse to believe God's word. It's saying, I know better than you, God. God. Is that the posture that you want to take in church? Is that the position you want to try to hold before the God of the universe? Do you think that's going to stand? I assure you it will not end well. All of these responses that we just saw are responses of pride before God and when we respond like this, we put ourselves on the throne of our lives and we make God some menial servant who has to do our bidding. But friends, God will never receive us like that. James 4.6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How do we know what that looks like? What does the opposition of God look like in our lives? Is it always a lightning bolt? Is it always some health struggle or financial problem? Is it always God putting his thumb on us in some way? Sometimes. But sometimes, I think most of the time, it's what we see right here in the text with Jesus. It says, but passing through their midst... went away now how did he do that was it like how did he make it through the mob and get free from the crowd and was it a miracle was i i don't know it doesn't tell us i don't know ultimately that doesn't that doesn't matter it's not the point of the story the point is they missed jesus because of their prideful hearts they missed the Messiah that they've been waiting for for years and years and years. They missed the salvation that they desperately needed because of their pride before the Lord. How does God oppose the proud? Primarily by simply walking away and leaving us to our sinful ways. When we refuse to repent, when we refuse to receive His free gift of grace he says okay I won't force you and he walks away and we miss God because we would rather challenge him than worship him are you missing God Are you missing God's power and presence in your life because you aren't prioritizing his word and his worship and his church? Are you missing God even if you're at church? You're here in body, but your heart is cold and obstinate and resistant and you're just going through the motions. Are you missing God? why do I come to church ask yourself that this morning why is it just cultural for you is it just a social experience where you get to see friends and talk and hang out are you trying to prove something or earn something with God or maybe you even resent being here And so you spend the whole time just challenging the Lord and challenging His word and challenging His work because you don't even want this. Or are you here to worship? Are you here to finally confess that you are God and I am not? To glorify Him. To grow humility in his word to encounter his fullness. Friends, I promise you, if you will come for that second reason, if you'll come for that, it will never be I have to go to church. It will always be I get to go to church. Because God will meet you here every single time that we come with hearts open and humble before the Lord. That's our desire here at Harvest my greatest desire as your pastor is that you would experience the fullness of encountering God every single Sunday. And that you would grow in your walk with Him. Why do I come to church? Stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your church. Thank you for calling us to worship you, for giving us an outlet to regularly encounter you and encounter your word. God, this is such a blessing every week. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts afresh right now you would stir us our hearts afresh to worship you to grow in your word to gather every week to make this a priority lord to be with you lord we praise you we give you glory glory to your name Lord, because you you are the one who is worthy you are worthy of our worship you are worthy of all of it Praise you today, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name.